Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Wichita, Junior Dos Santos versus Derek the Black Beast Lewis. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday, the first time the UFC comes to Wichita, Kansas, and they got a heavyweight headliner in the main event. Yeah, JDS is on another run. He's been looking good his last two fights, and we know Black Beast is the comeback king at heavyweight. Should be a good fight, and uh, somebody should get knocked the fuck out. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting because I know it's easy to sit here and break down any Black Beast fight and say, oh, he's going to lose the entire fight until he knocks uh, Junior Dos Santos out. But the thing is, we've seen Black Beast do that over and over. He did it to Volkov. He's done it on his run on the come-up. Now, uh, against Junior Cigano, the former world champion, you think he's going to repeat history here? Possibly, man. He's coming off that title fight against DC, and we saw what he did against Volkov. This guy's never out of a fight, but he's got a tough task on his hands. JDS, former world champion, some of the best wins uh, at heavyweight. And JDS, we know he can go five rounds as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, we're going to do this whole car start to finish, but before we do... There's only one thing I want to talk about last week. How satisfying was it seeing uh, Diego Sanchez whoop on Mickey Gall? That was pretty satisfying. You know, Mickey uh, should be getting his walking papers here soon. Yeah, <laughs> he definitely should. It was a fun card last week. Uh, the GOAT, John Jones, put everyone to sleep. Uh, this time it wasn't Snoozman who <laughs> made everyone fall asleep. This time it was the GOAT, Jones. But, uh, you know, the whole controversy was should Anthony Lionheart Smith have taken the DQ. And I, I know I was talking a little shit online, but at the end of the day, I, I got a lot of respect for him for being a real man and, you know, saying that, listen, man, even though they could have changed my life, they could have given me that seven-figure paycheck, the pay-per-view points, the belt, the rematch with Jones, the whole bid, you could have secured his family's future. Listen, as a, as a fighter, I'm not the fighter he is. As a fighter, I, I feel like, man, that's super honorable. But as a businessman, I'm thinking, you know, I really hope that uh, his career on television and his future fight purses, I hope they add up because he lost out on a big paycheck, Shaq. Yeah, you know, it's one of those situations where you can't please fans. I mean, these fans don't know what the fuck they want, man. So, you know, anyone talking on that situation, look, you ain't Anthony and you ain't Anthony's kids or his wife or his family. So, should really shut the fuck up. <laughs> so, I mean, Anthony chose not to do it. He's going to move on and fight someone else and Johnny keeps his belt. But to say Anthony's you know, stupid for not taking it, or, because then if he would have taken it, oh, y'all would have been like, he's not the champ, he's not the champ. <laughs> <laughs> so, he was damned if he didn't, he was damned if he if he did. Yeah, no, it's so true, and it's funny because someone was like, well, if he did take it, you'd be here saying that John never really lost, and it's like, yeah, you're right, I would have been saying that, but uh, Anthony would have been laughing all the way to the bank, so who cares what some fans think, but hey, Anthony made his choice, and I respect it, and I think he's got a very bright future. Shaq, let's break down this whole Kansas car start to finish, my man, because first up in the lightweight division, we got Alex the Spartan White, he's minus 145, and Dan Moret is plus 125. Now, I know we... uh we went big on Alex White to defeat Mitch Clark. That came through. But obviously, he uh, wasn't able to win as an underdog against James Krause. And then he got blown out the water against Jim Miller. So it's kind of tough to read these Alex White fights. You think he gets back on track here against Moret? Yeah, you know, it seemed like uh, he was moving on up. And then his next two fights, it seems like a big step down. So Alex White is one of these guys where, yeah, he, he's got a good body. He's strong. He's big. He's six foot. Uh, at 155, big power. His wrestling defense is not good at all. His jiu-jitsu is terrible. 
Uh, his chin is suspect as well. But his opponent, Dan Moret, also has a very suspect chin. He's been knocked out stiff by Hione and Gilbert Burns. And this guy's also a former 45er, so he is a small 55er. He's been training at the lab. I do expect to see a, a better version. And, and, you know, prior to him getting KO'd stiff by Gilbert Burns, it was a pretty entertaining fight. So I do think Moret's a tough guy. So I'm going to go with the upset here at plus 125 Moret. I know he's a little chinny, but... Alex White's also chinny, and Alex White's just not very smart. He makes consistent bad decisions. His his wrestling's terrible. <laughs> and, uh, but I heard he uh, got to stay out a month in Cali for this fight and trained with uh, Schilling and the same team Mickey Gall did. So we'll see if uh, a real fighter uh, you know, sees the improvements from that training. So, But I'm going to go with Moretta up, so I just can't pick Alex White. Yeah, no, I feel you, and uh, I forgot to mention the records at the beginning of the break time. Alex White's 12-5, and five, Dan Moretta's 13-4. and four. Basically, with Alex White, the things I do like about him is that he hits hard as fuck, man. You stand and bang with a guy like Alex White, yeah, his chin ain't the best, but he hits you, and chances are you are going to feel it. And also, Dan Moret didn't just get knocked out his last fight. He got stiffened. It was a brutal, vicious KO. I don't know if you guys ever saw a knockout between Matt Hamill and Mark Munoz. And look, this wasn't a head kick like that, but the way that Moret went down the way he landed with his knee buckled behind uh, oh man it was just it was awful to watch it was it was a vicious terrible KO and that has to mess with your confidence not, not only your chin your confidence and I just feel like in this spot yeah Dan Moret's training at a better camp no doubt about it because we know Alex White's training situation is a joke but Alex White actually flew out to California for about a month here uh, his management wanted to make sure that he was on point he's got black belts rolling with him privately every day so obviously I wouldn't back Alex White at shock, but I actually do think he gets back on track here. And I think he uh, knocks out Dan Moret as well. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Alex Morano. He's 15-5, and five, and Zach Otto is 17-6. and six. Currently, they got Alex Morano. He's minus 165. The comeback on Zach Otto is plus 145. Now, Shaq, this is an alleged grudge match. Apparently, these two don't like each other. So I got to know, man, uh, you going with uh, the game-planning savvy of Zach Otter or are you going with the mindless brawling of Alex Morano? Yeah, you know, I thought Morano looked real good his last fight against Keenan Song. He touched Keenan Song up badly. He kept his composure for the three rounds. Definitely his best performance in the UFC. Zach Otto came off that Dwight Grant fight in which, you know, Grant clearly won the first round and then he stopped throwing. He's a counter-striker. And uh, Otto's a very, you know, calm point fighter. You know, he... I think he only has maybe like one or two knockouts on his record, so he's definitely more of a game planner tactician than a, than a finisher, even though his nickname's The Barbaric. So, uh, you know, I think uh, how this fight plays out, if Otto plays it smart and, use, and utilizes his uh, wrestling, I think he might even be a brown belt or a black belt, I'm not sure, but... If he utilizes his wrestling, Morano has a big weakness in his game, man. He, he struggles to get back up from bottom, even though he's a black belt. But I see Morano improving that uh, aspect in this game. You know, he's been training at Fortis with Safe Saud, and he's actually been spending a lot of time with Jeff Neal, just them two. So I think we're going to see a lot of improvements from Morano off the off the last fight. I actually think he gets a stoppage as Otto. You know, I think Otto's going to start off well with the wrestling, but I think at some point when they get back up, Morano's going to clip him around the ears, and Otto will most likely fall. I mean, I can see that, of course, because Zach Otto, one thing about him, uh, he's not known for being the toughest guy. He's also not known for having the best chin. And also, word around the street on the Milwaukee area for like the last 10 years is that... Uh, Everyone knows Otto. <laughs> 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 they, they, let's just put it this way. Uh, Zach Otto doesn't have a reputation for being the toughest guy in that Milwaukee scene. I'll just leave it at that. But as far as him and Murano, I think Murano swings harder. I think Murano might have the 
the higher ceiling, but I think that Zach Otto might be the smarter guy. And if he game plans properly here, he can exploit that one area of Murano's game that needs massive work, and that's his takedown defense. I mean, the way Jordan Mean was taking him down, there's no shame in losing to a guy as experienced as Mean. It's just the way he lost. It was very embarrassing, and it was just a very unspirited effort. So all that being said, I think Zach Otto comes out here with the proper game plan, takes down Murano, and squeaks out this decision. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Lewis, the last Samurai Smolka. He's minus 120, and Matt Schnell is plus 100. Lewis Smolka's 15-5, Matt Schnell's 12-4. Shaq, uh, this fight's actually at Bantamweight, not at Flyweight. I thought it was at Flyweight. So, you know, these two moved up. The UFC's letting them stick around for a little bit longer. We know the deal with the Flyweight division. So, man, who do you think uh, continues the win streak here, Smolka or Schnell? Yeah, you know, I think Schnell's coming into his own as of recently, especially in his last two fights against Beltran and uh, Naoki Inouye, who was actually pretty good. He was an undefeated prospect, and Schnell came through as an underdog in that spot. Smoko, we know he had the drinking problem, got cut, won a couple fights, and then came back and got a win against uh, pretty much an inexperienced, you know, an experienced kid, you know, he definitely did his thing, mounted the kid, treating, treated him very accordingly. How I see this fight playing out, you know, I see I see Smolka kind of switching up his style a little, a little bit. You know, in the past, he kind of stood up a little bit more than he used to and uh, or more than he needed to. And he got exposed. He's not a good striker, man. He leaves his chin up in the air. He's uncoordinated. He's slow. But uh, one thing about Smolka is he's scrappy. He's a whine and he won't quit, man. You got to you got to take this guy out, man. He's going to keep coming. Uh, I mean, Tejas Nicolau, I mean, you saw... How much he got dropped, he got dropped but three or four times and he was still rolling. This guy will not stop scrambling for leg locks, arm bars, all that good stuff. You know, I feel like Schnell, his last two fights, especially his last one, man, this guy seems like he's uh coming to his own, man. It seems like, you know, Schnell, he was one of these guys that had a lot of hype going into his uh, season of tough and he just didn't live up to it. He took the loss to Robbie Font, took the loss to Sandoval. And uh, these next two fights, it seems like he's just way more calmer. A lot more comfortable in that octagon. I think uh, if Schnell avoids the mat situations, avoids the scrambling situations, I think he can win an easy decision here just based on, like I've said in the past, Lewis Smoka does not have a good uh, style to win a decision, but he does have a good style to get late finishes and to uh, kind of spook guys into making big mistakes, man. This guy doesn't stop. But I think Schnell's going to just squeak this one out by split decision. I think Smoka will have his moments. You know, I still question Schnell's chin. But uh, I think Schnell's getting better fight to fight. And like I said, man, as long as he avoids the occasional, you know, big scramble from Smoke, I think he wins this decision. I think he's too clean on the feet. And uh, I think Smoke will just make too many mistakes, mistakes on the feet. Yeah, both these guys have been making big improvements, especially Matt Schnell, because when he first came into the UFC, he was very hyped up. I mean, you guys remember guys like Dustin Poirier talking about their boy Matt Schnell. And those first two UFC fights... Obviously, he got brutally knocked out, but even the lead-up to those knockouts, he looked okay, but it was just kind of nothing special. seemed like he might wash out. That Marco Psycho Beltran fight was a loser-leaves-home fight. Basically, he had to play it safe there. I wasn't too impressed, but it was at least a step in the right direction. Maybe a little bit of a confidence builder to show him that, hey, I can go 15 straight minutes in the UFC, and I can win here. I do belong. So he got that win, and I felt like that win was a huge momentum builder for him because the next fight against Inoue, that's the best Schnell's ever looked. That was the first time I was like, okay, this guy actually is progressing, and he really might now be living up to the hype that people were giving him years ago back when he was on Tough. You know, this guy's been very hyped for a very long time, and now he's finally starting to live up to it. 
And with uh, Louis Smolka, he had to make some big changes. He made those big changes, man. And not only in his personal life, but even in his fighting. I felt like he was super mature that last time out. He wasn't taking as many shots as he normally does. And oftentimes, he'll put himself in bad positions just to scramble out of them because he's that confident in his scrambling abilities. Against Suma Jerry or whatever his name is, he didn't even have to do that, man. He just doubled him from the jump and created the scramble by being on top this time, not starting on bottom. So I do think his maturity is a big thing. Plus, he doesn't have to cut to 25 for this fight. He's the bigger man. And not to mention, of course, no one, no, no one's brought up the X Factor. He's Hawaiian. The guy is as durable as they come. He's as tough as they come. And I think that eventually at some point in this fight, look, it's going to be close. Matt Schnell's probably going to pick him apart, land some calf kicks. I know those guys at ATT are drilling those religiously. Great weapon. A game-changing weapon, might I say. But I think eventually Smolka's going to get on top. I think he's going to pound him out. I think it's going to be a ground-and-pound TKO. I got Lewis Smolka inside the distance here. Second or third round, ground-and-pound TKO. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Maurice Green. He's 6-2, and two, and Jeff Hughes is 10-1. and one. Now, Shaq, this is actually a rematch from, I believe, back in LFA. Jeff Hughes is minus 220. Maurice Green is plus 180. Based on these odds, as you know, Jeff Hughes did win the first time they fought, unanimous decision. Then both guys were on tough. Now they're both in the UFC. Who you got in the rematch? Yeah, you know, Jeff Hughes, seems like he's a hyped-up prospect because he uh, got that co-sign from Stipe Miocic, his teammate. But just pro projection-wise, you know, I'm really not that high on him in the heavyweight division. But I do think he gets this win here over Green. You know, Green had that submission loss to Batista on tough as well. His ground game is very suspect. I just think Hughes is the better overall fighter in this spot. And uh, he's one of these heavyweights kind of similar to Stipe. He likes to extend the fights. Uh, he's not really known for his one-punch KOs, but... I think he gets the win here over Green. I just think Green makes too many mistakes on the mat. And I think uh, Hughes will get the win. Yeah, I can see it. I mean, it seemed like a pretty comfortable win last time. But since that point, I will say this about Maurice Green. You know, I wasn't that impressed on tough. But in that USC debut, that shit he pulled off was pretty gangster, man. Especially for a heavyweight. You don't see heavyweights going out there submitting guys off their backs. So I was like, that, that was pretty fucking cool. And Jeff Hughes... You know, he, he did his thing last time. He might do his thing this time. I feel like Murray Screen's got the higher ceiling than Jeff Hughes. It's just about has he caught up to, to that point now. I really don't know. That's what we're going to have to see. If it goes how it did a year ago, I mean, obviously Jeff Hughes is going to come out here and grind it out. But I do think Maurice has been putting in work. I'm going to... I'm going to take it for the upset here, man. I, I know it's easy to pick Hughes based on how the first fight went, and maybe it goes like that again. But I think Maurice has been making improvements. I'm going to take him here to upset Jeff Hughes in the rematch. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Grant Dawson. He's 12-1, and and Julian Arosa is 22-6. and And currently, they got Grant Dawson minus 170. The comeback on Julian Arosa is plus 150. So, I mean, both these guys, this is redemption for both guys. I mean, Julian Arosa, obviously, you know, that money one two by King Cage put him out. And when Grant Dawson, uh, that money drug testing by USADA put him out. So who's going to get back uh, in the win column here? Yeah, you know, Grant Dawson seems like he's really hyped up. I'm not sold on him at all. I think his striking is not up to par to be uh, where he's at right now. But luckily for him, he's fighting Arosa, who keeps his hands completely down. His chin is very suspect. And, you know, it's sad because Arosa's actually not that bad of a fighter. He's scrappy. He's tough. I mean, it's just the guy fights blatantly with his hands down, and he's got no chin. So I know Grant, Grant Dawson doesn't have any KOs on his record. He's mostly a, a submission guy. But you never know with the Rosa, man. The guy has no chin, and he keeps his hands down. So, you know, 
from a betting perspective, I do think it's dog or pass, but personally, I just can't bet on Arosa. But Grant Dawson, this guy is very green, man. You know, his jiu-jitsu is good, but Arosa jiu-jitsu is good as well. He's got a lot more experience. And to beat Arosa, guys generally knock him out, man. Uh, we saw in the, the Contender Series fight with Emers. Emers had no chance of taking him down. And Emers is a guy that, you know, wrestled Sanhagen and Alex Alexander Hernandez. So I think Arosa's takedown defense is good. It's just a matter of, is he going to get caught with a fluke punch somewhere along the line? Uh, I got to go with Grant Dawson just because uh, Arosa's just, he's a... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? He's just a, a, a big letdown, man. Guy, <laughs> not even a letdown. He's just not reliable. He's just untrustworthy. So I, I'll go with Dawson by default, but I'd be real careful with Dawson, man. I'm not sold on this guy. Yeah, I feel that sentiment, man. It's funny because when the matchup was announced, it was like, oh, cool, we get to fade uh, Julian Arosa again. And I was really looking forward to watching the tape on Grant Dawson because, you know, it doesn't take much. All we got to do is come out here, hit him on the chin. And the fight's going to be over shortly after. Well, then I watched Grant Dawson, and it uh, turns out the guy has zero stand-up whatsoever. I was like, oh, my God, man. So we're probably not going to knock him out standing. So this guy, Grant Dawson, uh, he's a decent jiu-jitsu. He's, he's a decent grappler. He wants to get on top, impose his will, mix up the submissions. The thing is, it's kind of hard to gauge where he's at because the guy he fought on Contender Series was complete trash. So... You know, that guy, they literally brought him in to lose. He was the guy that got brought in to lose on the regional scene as well. They did that on Contender Series. Grant Dawson did his little spastic stand-up, <laughs> mixed in the takedown, got it to the mat, and finished the fight. Can he do that against Arosa? I don't know. It really comes down to how's Arosa's grappling. That's the big question. Because we always criticize his chin. We know he's got no chin, but Dawson's got no stand-up to capitalize on that no chin. So... It's actually not as bad of a matchup for Erosa as the line indicates. And I don't know shit about Grant Dawson. I mean, the guy got suspended for steroids two years ago. He's like 21 years old. And uh, I, I don't believe this is a T-City situation where, you know, the guy's so fucking good that one little pop is going to make a difference. It didn't make a difference for T-City because the guy is just that damn good with his technique. I don't think Dawson's that good with his technique. I think this guy probably does need steroids. I really don't know how this fight's going to go, but I'll just go with Julian Arosa because he's actually proven more to me despite his chin. So I'll go with Arosa for the upset. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Yana Kunitskaya. She's 11-4, and Marion Renault is 9-4. and And currently, they got Yana Kunitskaya, minus 170. The comeback on Marion Renault is plus 150. Shaq, you got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in Marion Renault versus one of the bigger women in the weight class in Yana Kunitskaya. Which way are you going? Yeah, you know, I like Yana in this fight just due to Marion Renault's terrible, terrible wrestling. Her takedown defense is complete garbage. She can't stuff a takedown. You know, she's a black belt, so she loves to, you know, go for her arm bars off her back. You know, I'm really... Kunitskaya, I think... Uh... I don't want to say she's a little overrated, but I think she's, you know, just uh, average, you know, just, uh, I think she's got a good clinch game, good takedowns, like she showed in the Landsberg fight, a decent jab, I'd say her weakness is probably, like, her in-tight boxing, uh, she seems like she doesn't like getting hit, but I think, uh, Renault does have better boxing, but, like I said, if Yana just plays her smart and clinches her up, gets these takedowns, like we saw in the Zingano fight, uh, she should, uh, get this one here. Yeah, it's interesting, man, because Marion Renault, I do think that she is levels above Yana in terms of pure jujitsu technique. Like, these two grapple in a gi, and I think Marion Renault is probably tapping her out. But in terms of MMA, Yana is so much bigger than her, and I do think she will be able to dictate the range, the pace, the tempo, everything, where this fight goes, and mixing the takedowns. Just be a little bit bigger, just be the bully. 
in there, and she just has to avoid the subs. Avoid the subs and you win this fight. Both of them have shitty takedown defense, let me add that. But Marion isn't really known for her offensive takedown. She's more of, you put her on her back, sometimes she'll sweep, she'll attack the subs like she did against Sarah McMahon. But in this spot, I think she's going to get grinded out for three rounds. I'm going to go with Yana Kunitskaya via decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Anthony Rocco Martin. He's 15-4, and four, and Sergio Serginho Moraes is 14-3. and three. Currently, they got Anthony Rocco Martin minus 200. The comeback on Serginho Moraes is plus 170. Well, Shaq, uh, Tony Martin and Anthony Rocco Martin are two completely different guys. Uh, you think Anthony Rocco Martin continues the momentum here against the very underrated Serginho Moraes? Yeah, you know, Rocco Martin's been looking real good at 170s with the wins over, serious wins over Nakamura, LaFleur, and then uh, Jake Matthews' last fight. And he's been looking better fight to fight. Serginho, we know what he brings. He's a serious jiu-jitsu black belt that throws bombs. He's not very technical. His cardio is actually a little not as bad as you think, but it's still, uh, still a factor, especially in a fight like this. And, uh, you know, I see Serginho coming out a little emotional, probably trying to take Tony's head off a little early. But, uh, you know, I see Tony just coming down the middle with those straight punches, man. I think his boxing is just on a different level than Serginho's, his technical boxing at least. All he's got to do is just stop playing around with his hands down occasionally. And uh, he should be fine here, in my opinion. He's definitely got to watch out on the map. But Rocco Martin's jiu-jitsu is also very good. I just think he's the better overall fighter. And I actually think he gets a second-round knockout here. Man. This is a great fight. Obviously, with Serginho Marais, I mentioned how underrated this guy is. And, and I stand by that. I mean, obviously, we all know wins over Tim Means, wins over Neil Magny, Omari Akhmedov. So, Serginho Marais has been in there with pretty much everyone. I mean, the last guy to beat him is the champion, Kamaru Uzman. And prior to that, he hadn't lost since... Uh, the tough finale versus Cesar Mutanchi a million years ago. In that fight, he dropped Mutanchi. So, Serginho Marais is one of the toughest outs in the welterweight division. He's always flying under the radar. Not to mention, we all love that little celebration he does uh, when he taps someone out. You know what I'm saying? That little jujitsu celebration. My boy Serginho is the man training out of Evolucio Tai. I know people will criticize his stand-up technique because, yeah... It's not by the book. He swings <laughs> very uh, loopy, wild bombs. But I'll tell you what, one of those loopy, wild bombs lands on your chin, and uh, you will feel it. You will go down. I mean, this guy hits as hard as they come. And I know his cardio has historically been criticized. And I don't really think in the Tim Means fight it was a cardio issue. I thought that was a slip and rip issue. I thought Tim Means hit him clean on the chin in that second round. We, you, you guys all remember the sequence I'm talking about. That one beautiful straight left that Tim Means landed that kind of shut Serginho down. That wasn't a cardio issue. That was a pinpoint strike to the chin issue. As far as Anthony Rocco Martin, man, he washed out at 155. He was killing himself to make the weight. I mean, I remember when me and Shaq interviewed him before the OAM fight, and we asked him how the weight cut was going. He was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, I'm going to make it, but, <laughs> you know, he just didn't even know how he was going to do it, uh, you know. But now at 170, he can eat what he wants. He's, you know, he's got a new fiance. The guy's got a completely different life at 170. He's training at ATT now. He's out of Boston. He's a different man. It's Anthony Rocco Martin. He wants to just be called Rocco. He doesn't even want to be called Rocco Martin. Just Rocco. Let's just call him that. So, Serginho versus Rocco, man. I mean, look, Serginho's going to come out here, give him a real fight. And if Rocco, you know, if he's getting a little cocky, he's getting a little arrogant, if he wants to fight with his hands down, maybe taunt him like he did to Jake Matthews, play some games in there. Because we know at 170, Martin is as confident as they come. And He's got a little attitude in there, man. He's, he likes to talk shit in there, something he never did at 55. That's how good he's feeling. You do that against Serginho, 
I mean, you might get caught. You might hit the mat. So he's got to come out here, be disciplined. Do not get into a pissing contest. Uh, you know, don't don't bust out the ruler. You know what I'm saying, man? So I, I think Anthony Martin's going to win this fight via decision or late TKO. Contingent on him being disciplined here. Hey, guys, Dan here. Just wanted to let you know that Kyle Marley's bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. As you guys know, he's on a historic run. He's in the midst of of a real heater. We're talking about a 200 unit run. And I mean, this is to the point where his last event, the John Jones versus Anthony Smith UFC 235 card, he won over 30 units on that card alone. And this isn't any low limit props or any bullshit. These are all bets that you can play in any sports book with any limit, straight bets, parlays, no bullshit. Sign up to Kyle Marley's place today at bestfightpicks.com and join this historic run. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Omari Ahmedov. He's 17 and 4, and Tim Bosch is 21 and 12. Currently, they got Omari Ahmedov minus 135. The comeback on Tim Bosch is plus 115. Shaq, I've heard some people say that Tim Bosch should actually be favored in this spot. So I gotta know, man. Do you agree that Tim Bosch should be favored over a Russian with O V as the last two letters of his last name? We know that whole Russian shit is a complete myth since Abu uh, fucking got tapped out in a myth. That she had Ozzy and Amaga with her. There's no OVs in Abu's last name. So she, she got a OV with her in her corner. As far as the males, it's not a myth. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, or fucking Kabi love. That shit's a myth. He got robbed, right? <laughs> but uh, as far as this Omari fight in Bosch goes, you know, I get it why it's lined close because, you know, Omari's, what's Omari's weakness that everyone knows? He gasses out in the third round in a lot of his fights. And Tim Bosch, what is he known for? He's known for getting a lot of comeback KOs in the third round. So I definitely see why it's lined close. Timmy's a crafty vet, man. This guy, he's got old, he's got those old school, uh, he's like Eddie Alvarez. Not, I'm not trying to compare them as fighters, but he's got those dirty tricks up his sleeve. You know, he, uh, not saying he's a dirty fighter, but he's a guy where, he gives you that false sense of security. You know, he thinks, hey, look at him. He's got a big belly. He looks old as shit. And then he, uh, sometimes he knocks guys the fuck out. But this ain't Johnny Hendricks anymore. And this ain't, uh... You should know comedy. And you, should, <laughs> you should know comedy. Rafael Natal. Natal, yeah. Like, so this is definitely uh, somewhat of a step up uh, for competition uh, for Bosch in a while. I know he's coming off the Carlos Jr. fight in which he got finished in the first round. We know Bosch's weakness when he hits that mat. He doesn't like jujitsu or wrestling. So, uh, for a D1, yeah, for a D1 guy, but he's, I kind of compare him to the Moraga type of D1 wrestler. He, oh, like a Lando D1 wrestler. <laughs> so he's on his back for some reason. But, uh, you know, I think uh, Omari. At 185 is definitely a lot healthier. And even at 170, you know, after the Elizu fight and the Serginho fight, the Razak fight, like, a win over Razak Alasana. That was a very impressive win. Like, Razak Alasana has devastating power. I mean, you saw what that guy did to Nico Price and Sabah Masi. He left him on a stretcher in the octagon. So, you know, I think uh, Omari actually is improving in his last two fights. And, and, and the Vittori fight, I'm not convinced that third round was a 10-8. Personally, I scored that the first two rounds for Omari. I think uh, that his cardio is kind of like comparable to Serginho's in a sense where it's not as bad as you think. He can keep it up a little longer than you think. You know, uh, there's definitely a good chance that he comes out here and, you know, counters Bosch with the with the heavy hooks and puts him down. We've seen Bosch go down s several times to Dan Hendo. I know Hendo hits like a truck, but uh, <laughs> Omari hits like a truck as well. And let's not forget that Omari's got a serious shot, man. I, I think Omari's got way more aspects to winning this fight. I think Bosch can only win this by a fluke punch behind the ear, you know, uh, if Omari gets tired. So, you know, I think uh, Omari can wrestle him, knock him out. 
I think, uh, I guess on paper, Bosch would have the better card just because Omari has had bad third rounds. Like, that's a fact. But uh, I think Omari knocks him out in the first year, actually. I mean, I feel you, dude. Obviously, you got massive respect for both guys. Tim Bosch, a dude that's been around the game for a long-ass time. Not even the Yushin Okami comeback win, because I know that's the first impression that people had of Tim Bosch. But what about when he threw that guy David a long-ass time? That David Heath throw, that was some <laughs> vicious shit, man. Like, for, for y'all that don't know, go to Fight Pass, check out Tim Bosch versus David Heath. He literally throws this guy and knocks him out. It was, it was fucking amazing. And also the fight with uh, Nick Ring, the Nick the Promise Ring, right? No, against Nick Ring when he had that massive judo throw. <laughs> Bro, that fucking judo throw he did was was stupid, man. I mean, he beat Kendall Groves' ass, too. Um, But anyways, back to this matchup. People saying that Tim Bo should be favored here. No, he should not be favored here. Look, I get it. He's got a comeback chance. If he's going to win this fight, it's going to be a comeback. There's no way in hell he controls this fight start to finish, I don't think. But yeah, if Omari starts to gas out, which he has done in the past, and Tim Bosch makes a comeback, which he has done in the past, I see I see the recipe for the upset, no doubt about it. But personally, I don't think it's going to go down like that, man. I think that Omari Ahmedov, ever since he moved up to 85, and I know it's only been one fight, and between you and me, he beat Marvin Vittori. Like, that shit in the third round, that was no 10-8. Omari won the first two rounds. He lost the last round. That's a 29-28 unanimous decision. You know, sometimes these Vegas judges, uh, they don't know what they're watching, but we all know he beat Martin Vittori 2-1. to one. And not only that, the fight right before that, he fought Razak Al-Hassan at 170, and I could tell that that was his last his last uh, hurrah at 170 because if you watch, if you look at his physique in the Razak fight compared to the Elizu fight or the Serginho fight, he looks so much bigger. He looks like a middleweight. He looks like, dude, this guy's got to move up soon. And ever since he did, I mean, you saw the size difference between him and Razak, but then him and Marvin Vittori in... Prior fights, he might have looked for a way out in that third round when he started to get gassed out. Here, he held on, man. So I, I feel like the gassing issues might be a little bit overblown. And if he can hold on here, he's going to beat Tim Bosch by decision if it goes all three. But I personally think he comes out here and knocks out Bosch. Look, Bosch has had a great run. So much respect for him. Look, he's talking about retirement. He doesn't have to do this shit, man. The guy's rich. He's he's set for life. He's coming in here getting the six-figure check. I mean, man, I, I I got a lot of respect for my boy Tim Bosch, man, but I got Omari Ahmedov in this one. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Benil Dariush. He's 15-4, and four, and Drew Dober is 20-8. and eight. And currently, they got Benil Dariush minus 200. The comeback on Drew Dober is plus 170. Shaq, a couple of years ago, it would have been minus 400 Benil Dariush. So I got to ask you, does that mean there's value in Benny? Or do you think that the surging Drew Dober might come out here and get this upset? Yeah, you know, I think this is a little different, a different minus 200 plus 170 situation, like in comparison to Rocco Martin and Sergino, you know, Rocco Martin's on the ups. You know, I feel like Benel Darius looked good his last fight, but, you know, Tiago Moises, like, all I got to say is go type in uh, Moises first Watley on YouTube, watch the first round, and then get back to me. Orbers, you know? <laughs> and then get back to me, you know, so the guy, Moises, definitely a good confidence builder. But the guy was jumping guillotines every round. The guy didn't want to fight. I mean, the guy is known for not wanting to fight. So that was definitely a good uh, three-rounder for Benil to get his confidence. But prior to that, man, I can't tell you the last time Benil looked good in a fight, man. Uh, even pre, uh, you know, he had that Kiesa loss. Then the Vic uh, KO in the first round. And then uh, Rashid won in Mexico. And then... Uh, Edson Barbosa, I don't want to say he changed everything because I still feel like he did change this, this, I feel like the same issues he's having after the Edson fight are the same issues he had before the Edson fight. You know, uh, you know, I know Dober. Uh, Dober, I would say, I wouldn't even really say he's a Muay Thai guy. I would say he's just a tough, a tough Nebraskan man. He's got a 
I think he's got a better chin than Darius for sure, better cardio, but Darius is definitely way better on the mat. Like, that's a fact. Darius could probably, you know, uh, give him noogies on the mat, you know? <laughs> but, uh, and Dober's made a lot of mistakes on the mat. I mean, the Buscape fight, the uh, Escudero fight, the uh, Mercier fight. I mean, this guy definitely makes his mistakes on the mat. So, um, that's why he's a. That's why he's the underdog, and I've heard Benil in some interviews saying he's looking to uh, expose Drew Dober's jujitsu. So, if he does that, he, I think he should get the win here. But I don't trust Benil at a line like two minus two hundred. I mean, we're talking about a guy where he was number twelve. You know, uh, if there is so-called levels to this, why are guys coming into the UFC and knocking the number twelve guy out in the world? You know, and I knew that fight was a little suspect just due to his prior fights. Look at the Dunham fight; he wins the first round convincingly. He uses too much energy. He's very easy. He can be manipulated a lot to use more energy than he should. And, I mean, it's been happening since, like, 2012. So, you know, I think uh, Dober, if he stays off the mat, I think he's got better. I think Darius has better Muay Thai for a round, but I think Dober has better Muay Thai for three rounds. And uh, I think Dober's got the better chin, but it all comes down to if he stays off the mat. You know, I'm not sure if it's necessarily worth the shot because Darius does have that big edge on the mat. That is his comfort zone. But it's no guarantees Darius uses that. And another factor is Dober, <laughs> from what I read, the guy puts on so much weight in between uh, in between the weight cut and the fight. I think he cuts like 30-something pounds. Uh, they had to make him fight Camacho at 170 because he couldn't fight. Uh, they didn't allow him to make 155. So Manil might have a tough time holding him down, man. So uh, I'm actually go with Dober in an upset for this. I think Benil's, uh chin suspect is cardio suspect, and I think he really hasn't been tested in a in a real fight since that Rashid fight back in Mexico. And I feel like Rashid just conceded that center of the octagon, and you know he later egged those first two rounds, man. Uh, and that's why he got cut because he almost did the same thing against Bobby Green, and he's doing the same thing over there in PFL. So you know I definitely think Benil's better on the map, but I see actually. Uh, a little bit more past the victory for Dober. I think uh, he can definitely expose him in the late rounds, just like all the other slower guys than Benil Darius have done in the past. Yeah, listen, I, I respectfully disagree. I actually think Benil's got more past the victory because on the feet, yeah, Dober's definitely got the better chin, even though he got dropped by OAM. He's definitely got the better chin. I mean, that Darius versus Barboza KO, you know, one of the biggest myths that we had to defunct this week was that Darius won seven minutes of that fight. He won like two minutes of that fight. So uh, that Barboza KO definitely diminished some life off Benil's chin. No, no questions asked. So if him and Dober go toe-to-toe, it's not going to necessarily be 50-50 anymore like it would have been in the past. Dober might have a slight edge there. Dober has been hitting harder. I like his footwork. I mean, the guy is a state champion, kickboxer, so... Dober's got some good fundamentals down. He's also been in the UFC 10-plus fights, so the guy's been paying his dues. But he definitely has some holes in his game as far as jiu-jitsu, especially to compare to a guy like Benil Dariush. I mean, Benil arguably beat Crone Gracie in jiu-jitsu. Benil's a black belt world champion. But also, Benil can strike too, man. And Benil's a southpaw. Is this southpaw versus southpaw? Southpaw versus southpaw. That's going to make it very interesting. That's going to mean that the leg kicks are going to be open for Benil that's something that he hasn't been able to use in a long time because normally he's just uh, kicking orthodox dudes in their body because, you know, southpaw versus orthodox. But now that southpaw versus southpaw, I feel like he will start to use some leg kicks in this fight as well. Benil's got a very hard left kick. But in the pocket, it's going to be sketchy. But I think that Benil closes the distance, makes it a grinding fight, something that he did in his last fight against Moises, but something that he also did in the past against Carlos Diego Ferreira, against Jim Miller, 
I think he can take that approach in this fight. I think he should take that approach in this fight. Don't stand and bang with Dober. Not because he can't necessarily win. I mean, Benil's got good stand-up. He comes out of a great gym. But that's going to give Dober a chance to win. Right now, Dober's operating on full confidence. And Dober believes he can go out there and knock Benil Dariush out. No doubt about it. And that's probably his game plan. He has to come out here, try to land that big right hook, that left high kick, whatever it takes on the chin of Dariush. Because he does land clean, he will knock him out. But that being said... With Benil having more past the victory, I think he pins him up against the fence, mixes in takedowns, possibly submits Drew Dober, but if not, I think he wins the decision. I'm going to go with Benil Dariush here for the victory. Now next up in the heavyweight division, we got Ben Rothwell. He's 36-10, and 10, and Blagoy Ivanov is 16-2. and 2. Currently, they got Blagoy Ivanov. He's minus 130. The comeback on Ben Rothwell is plus 110. Shaq... Both these guys are coming off decision losses to Junior Cigano. The question is, uh, who's going to get back on track, get a win here, and take the next step up towards the title shot? Yeah, I don't know about all that. <laughs> Neither of these guys will ever touch a UFC title shot or the top 10. But uh, Ivanov, you know, he... You sure they're not in the top 10 as we speak? Uh, yes, I'll bet that they're not in the top. Maybe Rothwell had USADA, so I bet he's not. Um, but yeah. Ivanov, you know, he came off that fight with JDS, five-rounder. Ivanov, he's one of these uh, slow, slower-paced heavyweights. You know, uh, a lot of his fights do get extended, but he does, yeah, he does have the knockout win over Volkov prior Ooh. to the UFC Ivanov. He got choked out by Volkov. Oh, yeah, my bad. Fuck. He beat uh, Fedor, and uh, he beat Fedor in Combat Sambo. That's what he's most famous for. Blagoy? Yeah. beat Fedor in Combat Sambo. Uh, and then uh, Rothwell's coming off this USADA suspension, and Rothwell was on a run prior to the JDS fight, in which he got jabbed to the body for five rounds and his head jabbed off. And, uh, you know, Rothwell's just one of these guys where he's also a guy that likes to give you a false sense of security. I mean, he's unathletic, he's slow, he gets hit a bunch, but if he touches you behind that ear, you know, uh, you might go down. And, I mean, he's been known to... Or what about his... Uh, What's this called? The go-go choke. choke. <laughs> he tapped Josh Barnett out with it. And uh, who else did he tap out Mitrion. with it? Mitrion. That's it? Yeah. Okay. So he's definitely got some subs as well. I forget what his jiu-jitsu coach name is. Uh, but he gives him a lot of credit. Or when he was on that run, he was giving him a lot of credit. But this fight, I feel oh, yeah, like... The little Brazilian he, guy, yeah, right? the little Brazilian guy. Yeah, I, yeah, like, I remember that yeah, shit. He just used to kept talking about him. This guy is changing my life. Because <laughs> I remember on the countdown, this little midget was like choking Ben out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, Ben like loves the guy. Yeah, he's like, this guy's changing my <laughs> life. <laughs> so I forget his name though. But uh, I feel like this can be a possibly with Ben's layoff. I know he's a serious vet, been fighting in the IFL and all other promotions. Uh, so the ring rush might not be a factor, but there is a chance it is. And there's a chance this is a very ugly, ugly, slow, shitty heavyweight fight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially if one, neither guy gets the knockout because they're both at times very lackluster and just like to scrape out. Uh, or Ivanov definitely likes to scrape out decisions. But uh, <sighs> I'm going to go with Ivanov. Just do. He's been more active lately, but I'm not really impressed with Ivanov. I just think he's just a... a a Russian, uh, or a, where, where's he from? He's not from, he's got that Russian no, coast. He's from, from uh, um, like, uh, Sofia, Bulgaria. Yeah, Bulgaria. He's a, he's a Bulgarian coaster, you know, so, uh, I think he, sh I think he will coast the victory here, but I'm not too confident, man. Uh, Rothwell, I got a lot of respect for him. I'm a big fan. I think he could, uh, knock out anyone. I mean, he's got wins over Overeem, Josh Barnett, Mitrion, so this guy's definitely accomplished way more than Ivanov has. And, you know, a couple years ago, this line would have probably been a lot more inflated for Rothwell's favor, but now the fact that he doesn't have that juice and uh, the layoff, 
I see why Ivanov's favorites. So I'm gonna go with him though. They never locked the cage behind Travis Brown and Ben Rothwell, did they? No. Man, that would have been a nice finish for Ben <laughs> Rothwell, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. When they have, yeah, they should just give that. Give him Travis Brown as his bounce back fight, man. Don't don't give him to Blagoy Ivanov. Look, I know Ivanov wasn't that impressive in his UFC debut against Junior Cigano, but not too many people are going to be impressive uh, getting outboxed by Cigano for five straight rounds. But I'll tell you what, he took it like a man. And if you watch his fights in WSOF, I know that some of them might not have been as exciting, but the guy is solid and he's got good fundamental boxing, decently well-rounded, very tough to take down. He's actually kind of smaller for heavyweight, so that means he's a little bit faster I like Blagoy Ivanov, man. I think he's a little bit more technically sound than Ben Rothwell. You just got to look out for the same shit anyone has to look out for with Ben Rothwell. The guy hits like a truck. You dive in on a takedown without setting it up. He will go-go choke you. I think the go-go choke is similar to kind of like a, a ten-finger guillotine. But anyway, so, so one of you jujitsu guys can can correct me on the actual like what a go-go choke actually is. But isn't it similar to like the ten-finger guillotine? I think so, right? So y'all let me know. But yeah, I mean, you don't set up the takedown against. A guy like Ben, he, he will choke you out, as, as Josh Barnett found out. But I think that Blagoy picks him apart for three rounds, avoids the haymaker. I mean, that's the key here, right? And probably wins a decision, but be, be careful, man. I'd like dog money if I was going to bet Blagoy here, but I will pick him to get this to get this win. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Tim the Dirty Bird Means. He's 28-10, and 10, and Nico the Hybrid Price is 12-2. and 2. Currently, they got Tim Means minus 200. The comeback on Nico Price is plus 170. Well, Shaq, if Tim Means is minus 200, that means he should come out here and stop Nico Price. My question is, will Nico Price find a way to make this that typical scarecrow fight, get this on the mat, and potentially choke Tim Means out? Yeah, Nico Price is also one of these guys that likes to give you that false sense of security, uh, become a punching bag for the first few minutes, and then either knock you out like how he did you, Ben, or submit you like he did uh, Thatch and... Uh, George Sullivan. Who else did he, beat? he knocked out Marana? And knocked out, and he knocked out Marana. But he got dropped twice in that first round, and uh, he came back. He he's also he's one of those guys that likes to get beat up for a little bit and then come back. Tim, I definitely think Tim is on a little bit of a decline. You know, I I, I still think he's a good striker. Obviously, he got some of the best one twos in the welterweight division. Um, but you know, I would say that. He definitely is declining a little bit. I'm not saying it was a, a steroid issue or anything, but his body does seem a little... Like Popper also. <laughs> his body does seem a little slimmer these days. Um, You know, I just feel like he's more... Even though he's coming off a finish, I would say he's more... I don't want to say he's a point fighter, but, you know, I feel like that's the more that's more the Tim Means you're going to uh, be seeing, unless he finds a home for that straight left against Nico, which is very doable. I mean, Nico's chin is on a silver platter. Um, You know, Nico Price... I wouldn't say necessarily he's got a wrestling advantage here, but I mean, he is strong. He does get opportunistic takedowns and he's very opportunistic. When this guy has his moment, he will finish you. Like we saw with Randy Brown, like we seen with Murano. I mean, this guy, uh, he's a tough guy, but he's coming off a devastating, devastating KO loss to Razak Hassan. Kind of similar to Moret's KO loss, a little bit worse, actually. Um, but Nico's a tough guy, you know, he's got a different mindset than Moret, so I think he'll be uh, a little bit okay here, but, you know, I think if Tim plays it safe and just point fights Nico, I think he eventually he could find a home for one of those elbows or that left hand, and Tim's not, it's not even a guarantee if Nico's better at wrestling, because we've seen Tim use, utilize wrestling as well in the past as well, so I do think Tim Means is the better, uh, overall fighter, um, so I will take him to win a unanimous decision here, but, uh, you know, 
I think uh, it's actually lying about accurately. You know, I, I think Tim Means will get the win here. But Nico Price, you know, he's a punching bag. Uh, the only thing I'll say about Nico is he's a scarecrow, man. The guy, you make uh, any little mistake in there, he will finish you. <laughs> I agree with you, man. I think this line is pretty damn accurate. There's not too much value on Tim Means because this is exactly where I said it. I said it, solid 2-1 to one favorite. And... I'm not a guy that likes to bring up stats on the show. I mean, don't get me wrong. I obviously read all the stats in my research and put the work in and look into everything. But in this fight, I do want to bring up a stat. So you see a fight between Tim Means and Bilal Muhammad, and you see it's such a back-and-forth fight. At the end of that fight, every time I rewatch it, I score it differently. Sometimes I score it for Bilal. Sometimes I score it for Tim Means. The fact is that was a 50-50 split decision type fight back and forth and the reason I bring that up is you look at how many strikes landed per minute do both those guys have Tim Means and Bilal Muhammad well it's around five strikes landed per minute literally both of them are literally exactly the same that's why that fight went the way it did well then you look at Nico Price well how many strikes does he land per minute he lands 2.5 that's literally half of what Tim Means lands so what that means is that Tim Means is going to be popping Nico Price's head back at will but there will be one shot in return every couple seconds. He's got to look out for that counter overhand because that's that's what this means. He's going to be outstriking him at a two-to-one clip. That being said, if this hits the mat, Tim Means needs to relax. Tim Means needs to be careful. Do not panic like you have in the past. I mean, Tim Means is well-rounded, man. I know people try to act like he's just a striker, like he's got no ground game. That's complete bullshit because I've seen Tim Means go out there, take guys down, Own them on the mat. I mean, you saw him go out there, put that MMA clinic on George Sullivan and tap him out with that arm triangle. You saw that fight with Ricky Rainey when he got him down. That ground and pound was on point. So Tim Means is a very well-rounded fighter. However, naturally speaking, he gravitates towards his MMA boxing, you know, and he does have some kicks in there too and beautiful elbows, knees, the whole bit. His, His MMA striking is really on point and with Nico Price he is an opportunistic finisher so he's probably going to take this ass whooping up front and if he does have any chance to win this fight it's not going to be uh from the bell it's not going to be a decision it's going to have to be a comeback finish kind of like Tim Bosch so whether Nico does that or not if you're betting the plus 170 or the plus 180 on Nico it's because you're banking on him getting an opportunistic finish you feel like Look, let's just take this out, this ass whooping up front. Let's get picked apart by Tim Means, but eventually we blast double him, try to take his back, try to choke him out. That would be your path to victory. That being said, I think Tim Means plays it safe. I think he picks apart Nico Price, and just the output that he has compared to Nico, I mean, it's double. So that being said, I won't be surprised if uh, Tim Means knocks him out, but if it goes all three, I will pick Tim Means. But if this hits the mat, you got to be very careful. I will go with Tim Means for the victory here. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos Capoeira. He's 20 and 5. And Curtis Curtis Melender is 17 and 3. Well, Shaq, uh, Elizu Zaleski is no longer buried on the prelims. Now he's the co-main event. Finally, both of these, uh, I don't want to call them prospects. In my opinion, now they're contenders. Both of these emerging contenders, man, they're making big noise, big waves at 170. Who takes the next step towards the top 15 or towards towards the top 10, might I say? Yeah, both these guys, I think they're both right now. Um, Elizu, I mean, his last fight against the Italian kid, uh, poor Italian kid got knocked stiff with his leg folded back. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And the fight before that, Strickland had to see the darkness as well. And not too many people, I mean, he's the only guy to put Strickland uh, 
Strickland down for the count. And Melender, man, what can I say about this guy? I mean, this guy's three fights in the UFC have been solid, man. I mean, he went out there, starts Thiago Alves with that check knee. Then he goes out there against uh, Max Griffin, a tough guy, a common opponent between him and Elizu. And uh, he also had a tough fight with Griffin as well. Griffin does give his opponents tough fights. And Melender was able to stay composed on a 29-28 decision style on Griffin in those last two rounds. And, uh, and his last fight against uh, CR, I mean, he lit CR up, man. CR uh, <laughs> was a, a zombie in there, man. He fucked CR so bad up that he had CR making terroristic deaths on the, <laughs> in, the, in the octagon. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Melender is solid at 170. I think he's got a bright future. I think he's 6'3", long, athletic, rangy. Only thing I'll tell you about Melender is I don't think he'll ever be a real player in the division just due to his takedown defense and his jujitsu. I think uh, even though he did come out on top of a couple scrambles against CR, you know, CR is a 500 fighter. He's just average. You know, I think Eliza Zaleski is uh, on a completely different level. Now, Eliza Zaleski, this is also the best opponent he's fought. You know, this is he also fought Griffin. He got wobbled by Griffin. He lost it around to Griffin as well. Um, but he's also got the wins over Lyman Good, a fight of the night win in, in which Lyman Good told his corner in between rounds, I'm scared to get knocked out. That's the type of fear Zaleski put, puts in his opponents, man. When he looks into these into these kids' eyes, they generally uh, they generally break. You know, I think Melender is definitely the more rangier guy. And if he came out here and, and outpointed Eliza, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I think he's that good at his game at his game plan. I think he's super fundamental. I think just to close the distance on the guy is very tough because I mean you might need to check knee. You might. And this guy's his counters are definitely on point. And Elizu, he's gonna have to be on point. You know, he can't make those mistakes like how he did in the Griffin fight, uh, or he might get knocked out of here. So. I would say um, a lender's weakness is, like I said, the jujitsu and wrestling, but also on the feet, he occasionally gets caught with the one big shot. You know, he has that uh, that James Vick defense. He likes to back with his, uh, that, his head straight up in the air. And, you know, against guys like CR and Griffin, they might just, you know, miss it. But a guy like Elizu, he will capitalize. You know, I think Elizu, for the first time in a while, isn't going to have to worry about guys trying to take his back or, uh, you know, hug his legs. I think he's going to be able to let his stand up go and, you know, I see uh, Lizu finding a home for one a, a spin, or uh, I know Melander 6-3 is going to be really hard to land a spin here, but I see him uh, either landing an overhand right, man, or just a left hook while uh, Melander's backing up with his chin up in the air, man. I think is uh, one of these guys that uh, also, if you make one mistake, uh, shows any type of weakness or you're hurt, you're tired, He's the guy that's really going to put you in the ground. So I'm going to go with Elizu for a, a mini upset here. But I got a lot of respect for Melinda. I think he's got a bright future. But I think Elizu just has more in the heart, uh, more in the gas tank. I think he's a better grappler than Melinda. I think he could actually utilize his uh, black belt jiu-jitsu skills here. I mean, Melinda, I think he's a great fighter. But like I said, he'll never be a player, a real player in the division because some of the shit he gets taken down with is just amusable, man. Like, some of them are low singles, like, from halfway across the cage. And he gives them up. He wins, but uh, I think he's going to lose on Saturday, so I'm going to go with Elijah. I love this fight so much, man. Both of these guys have really been putting in work. They've been looking incredible. Curtis Melender, I mean, what a scary dude. Six foot three, so long for that weight class. And he fights long, too. Knows how to use his reach. Just that striking, man. Uh, you stay on the outside. You play at distance with a guy like him. You go shot for shot with him. Chances are you're going to get knocked the fuck out, man. Uh, most of these guys that stand and bang with Curtis Melender are in deep shit. And you just got to respect that. However, there's massive holes in this game. Uh, obviously, his wrestling defense is horrendous. I mean, all three of his UFC fights, he's been taken down. And those three guys he fought aren't wrestlers, man. Tiago Alves, Max Griffin, 
and a CR. Those guys aren't wrestlers. Those guys are strikers, and those guys are taking you down, my man. And it was like not even nicely timed shots either. It was some ugly ass shit, and that's always been his his issue. But I'll tell you what. Props to Curtis Melender because I, I do know that he's been making improvements in his ground game because that fight against CR Baja Derzada, third round, he hit a nice butterfly sweep. I know it was the usage of the momentum against him, which is what jiu-jitsu is all about, and CR was completely off balance. But hey, the fact that Melender knew to go to that, I was like, okay, he's 100% putting in work, trying to level up his game. So my, my hat's off to Melender for hitting a butterfly sweep in a UFC fight. But if you think... He, if you think he's going to hit a butterfly sweep against Zaleski, uh, listen, he's not even going to retain his guard against Zaleski if this shit hits the mat. I think if this hits the mat one time, the fight will be over shortly after. And if it's not, I think Zaleski's going to accumulate so much damage on him that if they get back up, Zaleski can go out there and knock him out. Because on the feet, yeah, Melender is super scary. His head kicks, his straight punches, his knees, his elbows, everything. You got to be careful. But you start to get this guy a little tired. You start to make him work. And we already know he's got that tall man defense. And you mix that up with the fact that Elizu does throw heavy, heavy, concussive, devastating blows. He's not scared of anyone. And he's not scared to mix it up either. It's not just overhands. I mean, the guy will throw flying knees, hook kicks. And not to mention, not, he won't just throw those at the air shack. He's knocked guys out with both those techniques in his last two fights. Flying knee followed by a hook kick. Like, come on. So... Zaleski is the real deal, but not to mention, I got to emphasize how much better his jiu-jitsu is than, than Melender because you saw that fight against Van Dramini when he's got that locked-in Peruvian necktie two seconds into the fight. That kid's a black belt. Uh, you've seen this guy's ground game, and uh, he gets on top of Melender, he will finish. So I think that Elizu can win via knockout, submission, or decision, whereas I only think Curtis can win via knockout. So for that reason, I will take Elizu Zaleski via a upset victory here man and most likely inside the distance as well main event of the evening we got junior cigano dos santos he's 20 and 5 and Derek the black beast lewis is 21 and 6 Shaq, this is a hell of a heavyweight fight for some reason these two have never fought before uh, junior dos santos has a knack for picking up for picking people apart and you know Derek lewis loves to get picked apart and then come back and knock you out so which of those two outcomes is going to happen here yeah, it's a tough fight to call, man. You know, I feel like it could be lined a little bit closer just due to Black Beast's history. I know he <laughs> loses every fight. And 100%, I don't know how much longer he can get away with doing that, 100%. Eventually, that will run out, and he will start to, uh, unless he just makes improvements, which I'm sure he is. Uh, JDS, we know what JDS brings. One of the best, probably is the best boxer in the uh, heavyweight division. Solid jabs to the body upstairs. Saw that Tua Vasa fight. I mean, he's been... Uh, he won his last two fights. I know those two kids were definitely inexperienced in comparison to a black beast. So I would definitely say this is the uh, toughest fight out of the three. I mean, we know what this fight comes down to. Black beast is uh, one of these guys you got to keep your P's and Q's on because he gives you that false sense of security like you're whooping his ass. And then out of nowhere, they're putting the smelling salts in your nose. So, you know, I think uh, JDS definitely needs to stay on his P's and Q's. But JDS, for the most part, does stay on his P's and Q's. You know, when JDS loses, it's either by just knockout early or uh five round domination like uh kane velasquez uh he either takes it which Derek lewis is not gonna do <laughs> <laughs> so you know that takes out uh one way and you know lewis i don't know how many first round knockouts he has but generally they're all late man like gonzaga oh yeah napal <laughs> i guess who also knocked napal on the first round junior dos santos <laughs> exactly so uh you know i feel like the junior should be favored here at 100 percent 
Um, I do think he's the better fighter, but I definitely worry about I mean, how many times does Black Beast have to prove? Like, be careful playing chalk against that he guy. He beat Ngannou. <laughs> he beat Francis Ngannou in a fight, which he, I predicted that he'd beat Ngannou. He was like plus 300 in that fight. And now uh, he's an underdog as well. So, you know, uh, Black Beast's history as an underdog. So I definitely think from a betting perspective, it's a dog or pass situation. But I think Junior's savvy in the late rounds com in comparison to a Volkov. You know, Volkov can't beat black guys. <laughs> and, uh... And his prior opponents, I just think JDS will play it smarter, play it safe. He definitely might get clipped like that. Could definitely happen. But I think uh, instead of Lewis turning up in these late rounds, I think it's going to actually just be a slow fight from start to finish. I see a five-round decision from JDS. Of, I don't want to say 50-45, but, you know, 49-46, 49-45, somewhere around there. But uh, be careful, man. I, I definitely think it's a dog or pass situation from a betting perspective. But I think Black Beast only has a puncher's chance. But that puncher's chance is legit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, go back and listen to my breakdown of Volkov versus Black Beast because I called that fight to a tee up. Volkov teed off on him for four, for three rounds, uh, four minutes and 59 seconds. Up until the the last round, and then he got knocked out. So for 14 minutes and 59 seconds was what I was trying to say. Uh, here, I mean, I can see a similar thing happening, except this is a 25-minute fight. I mean, look, Junior Dos Santos is going to pick him apart until he either wins or until he either loses. It's not going to be a back and forth. There's not going to be an early takedown by Black Beast. Like, this fight is pretty cut and dry. Either Dos Santos picks him apart till he wins or picks him apart till he loses. So which way are you going? Shit, I don't fucking know. I mean, I can see him going out here winning this decision pretty damn easily. It, as long as he avoids that big bomb. The thing is, I do think that somewhere along the way, Junior will slow down and eat that bomb. So fourth or fifth round, I'm going to go with Derek Lewis via vicious, brutal, stiff performance of the night. KO victory. Black Beast for the win. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself, Kyle. It's going down this weekend in Wichita. They got heavyweights in the main event. How's it going? Hey, not bad, dude. Coming off a huge week, uh, ready to continue that success this weekend. I mean, it seems like every weekend you're coming off a big week, but this time, this time it's historic, man. We're talking about 30 units in one night alone. Hell yeah, man. It was, it was a good night. 4-0 night, uh, over 33 units. Uh, and people can go to your website and grab this week's. It's a lot cheaper. Hopefully, I'll add another 2-0 sweep, uh, and I also got two free bets as well. And just to clarify, these are plays that you can you can get action down in any book with any limit. I mean, straight bets and parlays, nothing crazy, no fancy props that you can only find in one or two books. These are bets that are available anywhere. Yep, straight bets and parlays, that's pretty much all I do. Bestfightpicks.com. Well, Kyle... Junior Dos Santos, he's taking on Derek Lewis. We know Derek Lewis has the knack for the comeback. I mean, you think he's going to do that here, or do you think he gets picked apart? I think he should get picked apart here, but, I mean, <laughs> you can't really ignore him in DraftKings because it does only take that one shot, and if he gets a knockout at any round as the cheapest fighter on the whole card, then he's probably going to end up on that optimal lineup. So I kind of actually like Lewis here for GPPs for that reason, but I just don't. I don't see him getting it done. I think Junior Dos Santos is just going to box him up for, for five rounds unless he can get a finish. It's just that one punch that we're worried about with Lewis. Like, There's no way Lewis can win a, a submission. There's no way he can win on the scorecards. He has to get that knockout, and he's not the better striker either, so it's got to be that one blow that just puts JDS out. I'm thinking he's not going to get it. Um, it's just that we got JDS as the highest-priced fighter on the whole card. I don't really like that. He's going to need a finish probably to pay that off, so... If I was just going to make one lineup and use this fight, 
I'd probably go ahead and just take Lewis. Maybe he can get that third round knockout again. If so, he'll pay off that price tag. So I know the fans are really looking forward to Tim Means and Nico Price. And you got Nico Price at a $7,400 salary. And I know for a fact that when this guy wins fights, he finishes fights. That means he's going to cover that $7,400. You think he's live here against Means? I think he's live, yeah, for sure. If he can get the fight to the ground or if he can just land that one knockout punch, um, that can get it done. I think he has more power. He's probably got more ability on the ground as well. I just think Means will be good enough to keep it standing. And if he doesn't get knocked out, I think he picks Price apart for three rounds, maybe finishes him late. Um, and he, he puts up enough strikes where he can actually pay off his price tag in a decision without, you know, without the without the knockdown he just puts up so many strikes where he can get it done it's just you don't really want to want to rely on that you do want the finish from him at that price um so it's not a fight i'm gonna be all over but i do like both sides a little bit price and gpps for that knockout upside grappling upside and then means is all right in all formats i think he's got a, a solid floor because uh, i don't think he's going to get knocked out and i think he's got a solid ceiling as well he's my pick uh probably gets it done by like third round tko Another heavyweight fight, we got Blagoy Ivanov taking on Ben Rothwell. And it's interesting because Blagoy Ivanov, he only scored 25 points over a five-round duration in his UFC debut against Junior Dos Santos. So now my question is, is that an indicator of things to come? Or do you think that was a one-time deal and maybe we can uh, snag him here in a little sneaky uh, favorite play? Uh, yeah, I don't really – I've never been impressed with him. Uh, I think – you got to be worried about Rothwell coming off that two-year layoff, PED suspension. Um, and he scored 39 in a loss to Dos Santos, so at least we got we got that on his side. And he's the cheaper fighter here, so I think if I'm picking a fighter in this fight for DraftKings, it's got to be Rothwell. I think he's very live for the upset, could get a knockout, could get a submission, and he could even win a decision, so he can get it done anyway. Uh, I just don't see how Blagoy scores highly without a finish. Uh, and Rothwell's hard to finish, so... Give me the dog here. Uh, I think it, it's a decent fight to target both sides, but I feel like it could be popular since they are heavyweights. So really, the fade might be the best way to go. Hopefully, uh, they just have like a boring three-round decision, and there goes half of the lineups because they're invested in one side or the other. So um, it's either a target both sides, uh, both sides, or fade for me. Omari Ahmedov's taking on Tim Bosch. Again, like we mentioned earlier, Tim Bosch, he has the knack for that comeback. Omar Akhmedov is known for gassing out. Do you think history is going to repeat itself here? Um, no, nah, I think I'm going to take uh, Akhmedov here. I mean, he's the younger guy. You would think he would learn from the gassing out in the past, but I just think this is going to be a slow-paced fight where the only way it scores highly is if somebody does get knocked out. Um, so if there's no knockout, neither one of these guys is going to pay off their their salary. So... It's, it's a decent fight to fade, in my opinion. I really don't care for it too much, but they both have heavy power, so either guy could get knocked out. Um, so it is a little bit risky, but my, my call is just to go ahead and fade this fight. I'll take Vakmedov by a boring decision. So in the welterweight division, we got Anthony Rocco Martin taking on Serginho Marias. And it's, it's funny because on DraftKings, it only has the first letter, the first initial of... Uh, of their first name. So it says A. Martin. You think some people are going to think it's Adriano Martins and they accidentally left off the S or you think they're going to know because they're used to it saying T. Martin. <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with it. If we got, if we got that many fish in there, I'm good. I'm good with competing with them. <laughs> I, I know. Right. But look, man, I mean, 
He's on a roll here. Anthony Rockamartin's looking better than ever at 170, but Sergino Marais, 80% win rate in the UFC. Which way are you going? Uh, I'm going to have to go with the favorite here. Give me Rocco. Uh, I just think he's going to be the better striker, and I think he's the better wrestler as well, so I think he'll be able to keep the fight standing. Uh, and if that's the case, I think he wins a decision. Uh, I just hate his price tag, $9,200. Uh, he's not going to pay that off with a decision win, that's for sure. He's going to need a finish. And even when he finished LaFleur two fights ago, he only scored 95. So if he goes out there, has an impressive form, performance like that, and scores 95, he still probably won't end up on the optimal lineup at that $9,200 price tag. So uh, I, my pick here for DraftKings has got to be Marias. I mean, I think he is going to lose, but he's got the higher ceiling – especially for his price tag. A 7K, really any win from him would do. But if he can get the fight to the ground and get on top, he could lock up a submission. I just think he's going to have to do it from the top. I don't see him getting a submission from the bottom if Martin goes for takedowns. Uh, so for me, man, it's another fight to fade or it's a dog or pass. Uh, but I do think Martin gets it done by decision. So the ladies are fighting Yana Kuniskaya versus Marion Renault, And normally I'd pass on a fight like this, but the reason I want – the Kyle Marley perspective is because oftentimes when Marion Renault loses fights, she does get wrestled. We know wrestling and takedown score big points in DraftKings. Do you think a three-round win by Yana Kunitskaya will surpass that $8,900 salary? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, Renault doesn't have the greatest of takedowns uh, defense, and Kunitskaya got five takedowns in her last fight. Uh, she only had two advances, so she ended up with 97 fantasy points but i mean i, I would, i'll take that at 8900 if she goes out there and gets 97 and rocco martin goes out there and gets that 95 that we were just talking about kunis guy is going to knock him off that winning lineup so i'm definitely interested in her for that reason she's my pick to win i think it is going to be from takedowns uh, i just don't see her getting a finish here so i don't know how super high her ceiling is i don't think she has any like 120 point upside uh so i'm not sure if she ends up on the optimal lineup or not I think Renault's a decent cash game play, maybe just a three-round punt uh, that you take 20 to 30 in a loss from. I'd be okay with that as long as we can rack up our four wins elsewhere. But pick here's Kunitskaya by decision. Lewis Molka's taking on Matt Schnell. I've heard this fight is at Bantamweight. So, man, uh, both these guys, it seems like they're finally coming into their own after they've all ha after they both had their respective ups and downs. So who do you think continues the win streak? I'm going to go with Smolka here. I think it's going to be a super fun fight. Smolka fights tend to score highly, uh, a lot of grappling points, but I think he's going to be the one wanting to grapple. Uh, so I like him to get the job done. Either guy could pull off a submission. If that's the case, maybe they can end up on the optimal lineup at that mid-range that mid -range price tag. But uh, I think Schnell's going to need to stand to get the, the win, and I would rather go ahead and take the grappler and Smolka. If he get the fight to the ground, then he's going to lock up a lot of it. Uh, He's going to rack up a lot of advanced points, and he does have that 100, 120-point upside, even with a decision win, just because of all those points he can rack up on the ground. So give me Smolka here. Uh, I like him a good bit at that price, but I'll take a couple Chanel shots as well in case he can go out there and get a, a finish uh, with a submission like a guillotine in the first round or something. And last but not least, Alex White is taking on Dan Moret. Kyle, you willing to give Alex White one last chance, or are you done with him? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm probably not done with him, but I would say my pick would be Moret here for DraftKings. I am picking White to get the job done. I think he's probably going to get a decision. 
he should be able to box him up on the feet. His wrestling should be good enough to keep it on the feet. But if Moret can get the fight to the ground, he could lock up a submission himself or even win a decision with his top control. And if he can do that at 7,600, there's a good chance he can end up on the optimal lineup. So I think it's just going to be easier for him to pay off his salary in a win than it will be for White. So even though I'm picking White, my preferred play here will be Moret. And that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Kyle, it's going down this Saturday in Wichita. It's on UFC, it's, excuse me, it's on ESPN Plus, Derek Lewis versus JDS. And they can get your bets at bestfightpicks.com and your write-ups as well. And they can follow you at Big Marley 3. That's right. Hop on this money train. We're about to get it done again. Yes, sir, Kyle. We'll speak soon, my man. All right, good luck. Let's get it. Let's get it. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq is going down this Saturday, and now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Wichita? My fight to watch is going to be Eliza Zaleski Capoeira Dos Santos versus Curtis Melinder. The winner is going to position themselves for a big fight in the top 10. Both guys have definitely earned their spots uh, considering their resumes, and I feel like someone uh, is going to be most likely fight of the night. It's Eliza. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw a boring Zaleski fight because I never have in my life ever. I don't believe it'll start this weekend. And you mix that in with the fact that he's fighting Curtis Melender, who also has never had a boring fight. This will be epic violence. And for me, my fight to watch is Tim Means versus Nico Price because similar to the co-main event, this will also be violent. There's not going to be someone in here humping legs, trying to you know get a meeting at Planned Parenthood, any bullshit like that. I, I think that someone's taking a canvas nap, and for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Wichita? My fighter to watch is going to be Rocco Martin, man. I think... Uh... The way this guy's improving, I definitely think he could be a player at 170 just due to his well-rounded skills. And he's fighting an 8-2 guy in the UFC. This would be a big win on his resume to have wins uh, uh, over Nakamura, LaFleur, Matthews, and then you add a Serginho. It's definitely warranted for a top 15 fight afterwards. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, the kind of waves Anthony Rocco Martin's been making. Let's see if he can take it to that next level. For me, my fighter to watch is Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos Capoeira. I mean, this is a guy that's been habitually disrespected. They bury him on the prelims. They're paying him very shit money. And now, finally, after six straight wins of devastating finishes, of total excitement, of fight of the night wars, now they're giving him a co-main event. Now the fans get to see what we've been talking about for such a long time, why this is one of the most exciting fighters in the 170-pound division. And he's got a willing dance partner in Curtis Melender. So for that reason, Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos Capoeira is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq is going down this Saturday. UFC Wichita, UFC on ESPN Plus 4, Lewis vs. Dos Santos. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets, our plays are available at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much to everyone that supports us. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.